readings this morning are several, and they're very, very short. So if you're going to open your Bible and try to find them, you're going to have to go really fast or have them already marked. Because they are Matthew 13, verse 2, Luke 17, verse 21, Matthew 4, verse 19, and John chapter 14, verse 6. The first one is Matthew 13, verse 2. Such great crowds around, gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. Luke 17, 21. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact the kingdom of God is among you. Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And finally, John 14, verse 6. John, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Thank, thank the Lord for his scripture and his word to us in these times. Thank you. Well, the scripture readings um, this morning, uh, like others throughout this series, might be apparently disconnected from one another. And it's true that I've kind of in this series been all over the place in the scriptures um, as we've been talking about prayer as, as life. And then next week, we're going to jump into a new series that will go for four weeks and will be grounded in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a wonderful story. It's a short story. It follows the book of Judges. And it's a story about loss and redemption. It's a story about loyalty and perseverance. And it's a story about God's guiding hand and his steadfast love and faithfulness. So we'll start that next week. That will go for four weeks. Well, it's four chapters long, so one chapter each week. I encourage you to read the book of Ruth on your own in one setting and maybe even um, imaginatively place yourself into the story um, as we've been practicing and trying to do throughout this series. I also recognize that I have a beautiful challenge on my hands this morning, um, which is how to speak to to eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds at the same time um, and everybody uh, in between. Um, but we welcome our children with us. We welcome their noises, and I hope there might be one or two words that are worth catching uh, for them this morning. But we've been talking about throughout this series, um, prayer as life. And the big idea, of course, is that we are invited and called to, to live a life of prayer. Not just to say our prayers, like with a small p and an s on the end. We say our prayers, but we don't just say our prayers and then let go of God in prayer. In fact, our prayers, our discipline of praying to God and uh, listening to 
to God and offering our prayers to God is meant to form within us an imagination of an awareness of God's presence with us um, at all times and in all places. So it is as though we are meant to live a life of prayer. When Paul says, pray without ceasing or pray always, he didn't mean that 24-7 we should be on our knees talking to God. That wouldn't that wouldn't really work very well for very long. What he meant is that we would grow in an awareness of God's presence with us and God's reality and his love with us at all times. And so that's what we've been talking about. And we've been um, thinking about different ways in which we can discipline ourselves to grow in this way. Um, last week, if you were here, Pastor Mike Imperial gave a wonderful message about praying the Psalms, um, which is another tool, uh, as you saw how Jesus um, prayed the Psalms and was shaped by the Psalms to live a life of prayer and to have a God consciousness, an awareness of God. This morning we're talking about, as we conclude this series, we're talking about living in the present while being rooted in eternity. Living in the present while being rooted in eternity. The word eternity can be kind of like a flimsy word because when you think of eternity or eternal life, it seems that it's just life that goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever and doesn't stop. And so we think of it in linear terms. I've, I've had a, um, people come to me in a moment of honesty and say, you know, eternal life sounds kind of boring. Um, like it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and forever. I mean, um, but that's not what the scripture really means when it talks about eternal life or eternity. Um, the Bible in, in reference to eternity has to do with a qualitative life more so than a quantitative life. It's not that it's just a it never ends kind of life, although that is true, um, but it is a qualitative life that is deeply connected and part of a bigger story, part of a bigger narrative with a past, a present, future, a reality in which we are living. There's a, there's a phrase that Jesus used um, to talk about this, and it was called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he came teaching about the kingdom, trying to describe the kingdom. Um, and the kingdom really meant the, the rule of God or the reign of God or the way of God. God's desires lived out in the world. What God wants for all of creation, when that is lived out, that is the kingdom of God. We might call it the reality of God or the order of God. Or you can even just call it reality. Um, connected and personal reality or God's way of life. So, so we're, we're rooted in this eternal kingdom, in eternity in this kingdom that has come into the present in Jesus. So what is this kingdom? What is it all about? Um, I was, you know, Jesus spent a lot of time trying to describe this kingdom and he would uh, use parables and he would use various images to um, talk about the kingdom because how do you describe something invisible that you can't see? When I was um, walking outside the other day and I was paying attention to the trees and the tall grasses and I thought to myself, maybe the, the kingdom of God in some ways is kind of like God's ecosystem. Everything is, is connected. It all um, depends on one another for the sus sustenance of life. 
But it's more than just an ecosystem because the kingdom of God is personal. The kingdom of God has a king um, or the kingdom of God has a father. And so in many ways, it's like a family, an interconnected family um, of love, a relational ecosystem. What would this kingdom look like if we were to live in the kingdom? Well, it would be solid because God is solid, and this is the future that God has for us. It would be trustworthy. It would be dependable. It would be strong. These are all words out of the scriptures that describe God and what God is doing in the world. It would be a place or a way of life where you knew that your rights, uh, as we call them today, would be defended by someone stronger than you. Um, There would be a Savior who would um, rescue you if you were drowning, a shepherd to guide you when you get off track, a rock to hide in in the midst of the storm. You'd have a fortress. All of these are terms used in the Psalms for God. And all of this is available to us today. So this idea that we're rooted in something bigger than ourselves, rooted in the eternal kingdom of God, means that we're rooted in something bigger than our traumas, We're rooted in something bigger than our disappointments. We're rooted in something bigger than our frustrations, than our addictions, than our struggles. We're rooted in a much bigger ecosystem and family. And prayer is a way of experiencing that reality, of entering into it, of saying yes to it. Waking up to it is another way of saying it. Waking up to the reality of God's kingdom all around us. And so we're rooted in that, but we're not just rooted in a sense of being stagnant as though we're rooted over here and disconnected from everything else. No, our, our life is, is meant to be flowing. Um, the spirit flows through us. We're meant to be flowing through life. Jesus said this about the kingdom of God um, or what I'm calling the family or the ecosystem of God. He says it's right here. He says it's at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is my hand. It's right here. This is how close the kingdom of God is to you in proximity and in time and in space. Um, It's already arrived in me. You don't have to go looking for it. And it doesn't start after you die. It's available to you today. Dallas Willard used to say that the kingdom of heaven is not out beyond Pluto. It's, It's right here and right now. Uh, And it's coming toward you in love. Jim Finley talks about how it is the infinite love of God that is being poured out as the existence of your very life itself. But you have to have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Jesus says it's arrived. He says it's at hand. And in another place, he says the kingdom of heaven is within you. It is actually inside of you and you can access the kingdom. So this means that you can be alone, stuck on a desert island like Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway, or like the Apostle Paul in prison, and you can look inside and guess what you will find? The love of God moving toward you in Jesus Christ. God coming toward you in love. In another place, Jesus says, come, follow me. Very simple, right? 
I'd like to unpack that a little bit. You know, when he said that the kingdom of God is at hand, he didn't say that the kingdom of God is waiting for you when you die, and it's going to be really great when you die, and you're going to get to go to heaven when you die, and that's something you can look forward to, although all those things are true. He says the opposite. He says it's at hand, it's right here, it's right now. But we tend to think in religious circles that it's something we, we get when we commit to Christ that we'll get later. Jesus says it's available today. And when he said, come and follow me, he didn't say, come and join my religion. Uh, If he did, we'd all be Jewish because that was his religion. He said, no, come and follow me. So let's look at these words briefly. When he said, come, well, what does that mean? That means that you have to leave some place where you are and go to another place. So following Jesus is about leaving some things behind. We have to leave some things behind, just like his disciples did. They had to leave their nets and their families and go and follow Jesus. We have to let go of our attachments. We have to let go of our desires, our agendas, in order to follow Jesus. And then he says, follow, which is literally an act of following him to a place that we didn't know. And this is in the Abrahamic tradition when God called Abraham to go to a place where I would show you that was unfamiliar to you. Go and trust me. In the same way as we follow Jesus, we don't know where he's going to take us when we trust in him. And literally, the disciples asked him one time, they said, Lord, where are you staying? We want to go and stay with you tonight. And you know what he said? He said, come and see. Come and see. It's an adventure. It's an adventure. I'll, I'll show you. You'll see. It's a journey. And then he said, follow me. Well, who's me? But a person who is full of God. What could we say about Jesus but that he is a person who is so full of God? Traditionally, we say that he is fully God and he is fully man. I love the way C.S. Lewis would talk about it. He said, when you look at Jesus, you see a person who is fully alive, to be fully alive. Um, And so we see when we look at Jesus what this eternal kingdom looks like when it's lived out. We see uh, what it looks like to be rooted in eternity and living in the present. It's not static though. It's not like joining a club. Jesus didn't say, I'm, I'm starting a little church over here in Nazareth and we're going to have a new members class and I'd like to get some of you to join in the new members class. No, it was so much bigger than that. He said, I want to invite you into reality. Not, not to join a little church. Live into reality, the reality of God. I'm calling you into that, into the flow of God. The last thing I want to look at is that when Jesus says, I am the way, you know, when he he says this in the gospel of John in a number of circumstances, uh, seven or eight times, depending on how you count them, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, I am the gate. He says, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the vine. When he says these I am statements, certainly he's He's metaphorically using those for himself, but really what he's doing is he's hearkening back to a time when Moses was meeting with God at the burning bush, and God told Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh and tell them uh, to set my people free. And Moses says, well, who am I going to tell them 
who sent me? What's your name? The big bad Pharaoh is really mean. And if you were a kid at VBS, you know how mean the Pharaoh was. Um, that was the Pharaoh in VBS, by the way, for the parents. Um, and so what do I say? Who sent, who are you? What's your name? And, and God said this wonderful Hebrew, great Hebrew phrase, I am that I am. Tell them I am sent me, sent you. I am like I am existence itself, I am reality, or as Thor would, or whatever in the movie Thor would say, I am inevitable, right? That was a little Marvel line there. Um, I am that I am, I am, I am existence itself. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he is doing is he is connoting a fullness of who he is. He is full of the God who was at the burning bush who called Moses to set the people free. So, so we're called to, uh, to be grounded, rooted in eternity, in this eternal kind of life. But we're also living in the present, not in the past, not in the future, actually in the present. By the way, I, I've been pondering this for a long time, and I've been practicing this for many years, and I realize that for me, I have a really, really, really hard time living in the present. I mean, I can be in the present moment for moments, but I have a hard time living there. And I, I wonder if you were to stop and pay attention to where your thoughts go um, when you're not occupied, you might be a little bit like me too and find that your thoughts are either in the future or in the past. And when they're in their past, they're either, you're either thinking about something bad that happened, whether it's with regret, something you did or left undone that you regret, or something that somebody said to you like six or seven days ago and throughout your following days it keeps popping up and you just keep processing it and you kind of keep nursing that thing that they said. Or you look to the past and you glorify the past. Oh, those were the days. If only we could get back to those, to those, to those days when this and this happened. If only we could get back to the days when the kids still lived in the house. Oh, if those were the days. Or we find our minds in the future. And we're either worrying about the future, oh, I hope this doesn't happen, uh, climate change is coming, it's getting hotter and hotter, we're all going to die, um, you know, these things are happening, um, or, or we look at the future with fantasy, oh, I can't wait, someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy that uh, cabin in the mountains, um, and I just can't wait for that day, and we fantasize, but where is God but in the present moment? Reality is in the present. God is in the present. He's right here. You don't have to go somewhere else to find him. And so it's hard work to practice being in the present. But what do we learn when we take time out of the day, even if it's just a couple of minutes, to practice this? What do we learn when we're able to live in the present? Well, the one thing that we learn is that it's your journey that you're on. It's not somebody else's journey. It's not your teacher's journey. It's not your pastor's journey, your parents' journey. It's not your mentor's journey. It's your journey, and only you can live your life. And if you don't, you'll miss it. You're the only one who is available to take your journey. It's pretty obvious, but if you don't live your life, it will never be lived. Wouldn't it be sad to get to the end of your life and to realize that you never showed up in it? because you're absent 
for most of it, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. So have courage to live your life with all of its strengths and all of its failures and everything else because God loves and knows you personally. The second thing you see when you're rooted in eternity but living in the present is that there are other people walking alongside you. And if you're awake, you'll realize that they're on their journey too. And their journey is not your journey. And so therefore, when you encounter somebody else on the journey, there's only one thing you need to do, and that is to love them well. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to change them. Um, You don't have to give a little bit of advice that will uh, help them out a little bit down the road. Just love them. No judgment, no fixing. One more question before we wrap up. Where do our efforts come in? Like, what do we do? How do, how do we grow in this way? How, how, where do our efforts come in? Because I come from a tradition, like many of you as Presbyterians, um, that is rooted in, in the historical Reformation um, of the 16th century. And the Reformation, at the heart of the Reformation, was the rediscovery of grace, which means that you don't do anything to earn God's favor, God's love for you. You don't work to get it. You don't put extra coins in the coffer to set your ancestors free. There's none of that. You don't work or earn it. It is God's love is preemptive. It comes to you. God loves you uh, way more than you will ever love God. Um, And so, however, though, being a gift, it needs to be received needs to be opened. When you are given a gift, you've got to open the gift and receive it. And we receive it through faith, which is a kind of deep trust where you know um, or realize that God, God's love is with you all the time, that you have received forgiveness and that that has conferred salvation for you for all eternity. Maybe you commit yourself to God through Christ and you begin to feel the peace that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit a little bit, sometimes, sometimes not. It's a gift of grace, you receive it. But then that gift of grace is meant to transform you so that more and more and more you become increasingly like Jesus, living in the freedom and the joy and the strength and the authority and power of Jesus. And this is where our effort comes in. We partner with the Holy Spirit in what's called, a theological term is sanctification. We partner with the Spirit with our disciplined efforts and God's grace to grow and to become transformed. We don't acquire it or attain it, but we allow this grace in prayer and in solitude to permeate into our lives so that it changes us. Kind of like a marinade changes a steak. But you don't just put a marinade on a steak and then five minutes later put it on the grill and expect the flavor to change. You've got to let it sit for a while. And this is this is what the spiritual disciplines are all about. It is They're about marinating in the love of God such that it becomes part of the cellular structure of our beings. And this does happen. And as we allow this presence of the Spirit to do that, slowly over time we start to change. And we see healing taking place in our lives. 
more and more physically even, spiritually. Suffering still comes, but what we become free from is the tyranny of our suffering. And that is, that makes all the difference in the world right there. Because you can suffer or you can be enslaved by the tyranny of your suffering. So how can you know that if you haven't allowed the love of God to permeate and you do that through prayer and solitude? Maybe one of the greatest spiritual disciplines that we can practice is just to relax. Do you know Jesus was the most relaxed person who ever walked the face of the earth? You never find him in a point of great anxiety. I mean, there's a couple points he curses a fig tree and he turns over some tables. But you never see him running. You never see him anxious. He's not in a hurry to get to Lazarus when Lazarus is dead. I mean, I'm hurrying all over the place for Jesus. The least he could do would try to keep up with me. Um, But no, Jesus is very relaxed. And one of the greatest things that we can practice is practice being relaxed. First of all, enter into a time of solitude and think about where is the tension in your body. And when there's, you recognize that there's tension that you didn't even know was there, that's generally going to be tied to a worry or a fear or anxiety or a regret. And so practice relaxing your body. And then relax your attachments to your life. Relax the things that you're anxious about. Relax your, your dreams. Relax your expectations. Relax your insatiable questions and wonderings or your processing of things that happen or your fears of what might come. Just relax all of those and enter quietly into the love of God. This is hard work. It takes practice um, and it's not going to do any. And if you go like, well, I'm going to practice this every day for a week and and that didn't work. I'm going to go back to watching television. Don't do that. It is a lifetime of prayer. And, uh, and you'll see the results in time. So still your mind and open yourself to God's work in your life and you will become increasingly aware of God's love coming toward you throughout your days. It's not your work for God, but it is the question that you want to ask is what is God's work in you? What is God doing in your life? God is at work in your life right now, today, So this week, spend some time to think about that. Lord, what are you doing in my life today? And how do I cooperate with that? Because I know it's for good, for my good and for my joy. I leave with this one thought, this brief parable. It comes from um, another tradition. The image is a river. And this river, um, I, I like rivers, images of rivers, because they're not static, they flow. And the symbolism of this parable is that getting to the other side of the river is what spiritual maturity looks like, as what everything we've been talking about through this series. Union with God, or as we would sing in the hymns, in the old hymns, mystic sweet communion. To be, have union with God, the symbolism is getting across to the river to the other side. And the writer says, I saw on this side of the river all of the people, and they were running and they were scurrying back and forth, but never putting their feet into the river. And then along came someone who not only put his feet into the river, but made it all the way across to the other side. 
And that person for us is Jesus, for sure. He is the author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He has gone before us into communion with God, into union with God. We are meant to to follow him. You probably know some people that you can think about in your life who are in the river, maybe a hundred yards away. Maybe there's someone you know who's gone to the other side of the river and you can see ways in which they live in the present but are rooted in eternity and the joy and faith that they have. My prayer for us is that we would be those kinds of people. Not just scurrying about on one side of the river waiting for the day when we will cease to exist on this side of the river but actually stepping out into the deep as we sang this morning um, into the river, into the deeper parts of eternity, which ironically places us more fully in the present. And so as we close this morning, um, this series and this sermon, um, we're going to have a, a time for healing prayer. If you would like f- to receive a prayer for healing for yourself or for someone you love, there will be two um, people up here, prayer leaders, and one in the back. And during, as we sing the final song, if you feel led, there's, we will just sing. If nobody comes, it's totally fine. But if you feel led to receive healing prayer and the anointing of oil, uh, you can go to one of those stations and uh, and one of the leaders will pray for you. But um, let's close our sermon in prayer and enter into this uh, time as we close in worship. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are with us right here, right now. May we at least be present in this moment for the next five, seven minutes. Help us to let go of what is behind us For as Gail said, it is over and we can let it go and trust you with that. Help us to let go of our future, our fears, our hopes. We trust you with that too and meet us in the present with your love for it is the only place it can be found. In Jesus' name, amen.